Welcome back to Just Be Better, Your Physio Begs You, the show about all the things your physio wishes you knew and how to be better at understanding your health. As always, this information is for educational purposes only. Please visit your physio or health professional if any of the content seems relevant to you. In today's episode, I'll be talking about exercise in the context of injury management. Basically, why your physio is begging you to please do them. God bless technology because drawing those stupid little stick figures for home exercises that people rarely did killed me. At least if people ignored their exercises that I selected from the database, I wasn't putting myself out there to be laughed at for my lack of stick figure drawing prowess. Fun fact, the artwork for the pod is actually based on a random poster I found in an op shop that was hanging in my clinic room of a bunch of stupid little stick figures. I loved them and I do regret that I left my poster at my old workplace. Anyway, let's get on to the talk. As we would probably all know, exercise is good for you. Duh, we've all heard it. It's everywhere, etc, etc. But specifically about exercise, what is it that is good for us? Well, exercise can be broken down into three main components or varieties, I guess. Number one is aerobic. Then we have resistance training. And finally, mobility training. So if we go back to that, aerobic exercise is probably what you're familiar with. It is exercise that is in aerobic in nature, and the aim of it is to increase your heart rate. The training effect is going to be improving the health of your cardiovascular system and of your respiratory system. In terms of how often we need to be doing this, it's recommended by a lot of different health authorities that we do 150 minutes of moderate intensity a week or 75 minutes of vigorous intensity weekly. With resistance training, that is what we would know as strength training. And the goal of resistance training is to work the muscles. What this does is increase your bone mineral density and obviously muscle mass. How it increases bone mineral density? When you work a muscle, the muscle pulls on the tendon, which is attached to the bone. When it yanks, it tells the bone to put more bone down. Rinse and repeat, and all of a sudden you've got nice strong bones. With resistance training, it is recommended that people do that twice a week on non-consecutive days. Again, this is assuming that you work the whole body and you're not doing legs one day, arms the next. With mobility training, obviously that is going to be things like stretching and other exercises where the goal is to put you through your full range of motion. And obviously we are wanting to do this to make sure that we retain full range of motion. And with that, it is recommended to do it two to three times a week in total. For overall good health, you're wanting to do a mixture of of the above. But if you've got specific goals or training requirements, it might necessitate different ratios. And if you're an athlete, there may also be some skill work or tasks that you're wanting to be doing, such as proprioception, balance, coordination, agility, etc. You can imagine that the training program for a marathon runner is going to look very different to a power lifter, which is going to look very different to a soccer player. So who cares? Why, why do we care about exercise? It's just good to know what sort of exercise is useful for what purpose. If you say that you do walking as your exercise, that is great, but it's not going to offer anything in terms of resistance training or mobility. So if that is what your physio is thinking is useful for you, Walking is not really going to cut it and there is going to be more that you need to do. Now, as we would have discussed last time, exercise is a key management method in that tight versus tight conundrum or the tone and flexibility. 
Remember, if you are training to be more flexible, you're going to need a lot of mobility training and some strength work. Whereas if you've got high tone, you're going to need a mixture of strength training and mobility work. Specifically with this and that strength training, we're wanting to increase the capacity of your muscle. If you've got low capacity, you're going to fatigue faster, which is then going to result in that tightness and that that problem with tone. Now, everyone has a physical capacity, and that is different in different areas of the body. It can alter during the day or even across days if we're considering the menstrual cycle. If we break down all activities into having a load, some cases it's obvious and others it's not. If someone were to need to lift a 50 kilo weight, that has a 50 kilo load. But if someone is into running or they are an office worker that needs to sit all day, well, running and sit all day, it's very hard to assign a number or a value of what that load might be. The issue occurs when people have a disconnect between what their capacity is versus the load they need to do. Specifically, if the capacity, if your capacity is lower, the same or only a little bit higher than the activity. For example, if your maximum capacity to lift is 50 kilos, it's going to be really challenging. You're going to fatigue fast. And if you keep trying, there's a lot of potential for injury. However, if someone has a capacity to lift 100 kilos and they need to lift that same 50 kilos, for them, it's a lot easier. They can do that task a lot more times and they're going to have a lower chance of injury just because there is that excess in capacity compared to the load. Another way might be if your capacity is to run 10 minutes comfortably, but then you try doing 60 minutes. You're going to be gassed, your legs are going to be pooched, and there's obviously potential for injury from overdoing it. Perhaps not just one time, but if you were to continue to try at such a drastic disconnect between capacity and load, that's looking at injury. Or say you've had a back injury and you can only tolerate sitting for about 30 minutes, but you need to work in an office where you're required to sit for about eight hours a day. There's obviously a disconnect between your capacity and the load of that task. Now, if we take a little bit of a detour through physiology and dust off my early university days, the dusting off is metaphorical, all of my notes are on the computer, but just to refresh on how muscles work, what they do, just so you might have a little more understanding into how it all ties together with exercise. So in terms of muscles, you have two main types. You've got the slow twitch and the fast twitch. So those slow twitch fibers are called type 1 and they are your endurance muscles. They operate on an aerobic system, which means they use oxygen, which means they're also slow to fatigue. Because of that, you'll find a lot of slow twitch fibers in postural muscles and on things that always need to be operating just to keep you going. You imagine if you have very strong, powerful muscles only in your back, it's going to look very funny staying upright as compared to just slow and steady. Again, those fast muscles will be the fast twitch, which is type 2A and 2B, and they are powerful muscles. They are your movement muscles. You'd expect to see these in your arms and your legs. Because they are powerful, they can operate on an anaerobic system, which means they don't use oxygen to work, and that can mean that they are faster fatigue. So you can train those to be a little better, but they are movement muscles and they're going to move and eventually require rest. To build strength, there's kind of two two functions by which it might occur. So we've got hyperplasia, 
and hypertrophy. So hyper meaning more. Now with the hyperplasia, the way you would have this occur is low weight and high reps. And what's happening, the muscle is dividing. So hyperplasia means that if you were to get a muscle before training and after a long training period, cut it in half and you'll see there's a lot more muscle fibers. And the idea is that dense muscle is going to be enough fibers to have a really good ratio of working and resting. Whereas with hypertrophy, what's happening there is each muscle fiber is just getting bigger. It's the classic getting swole. And obviously, if you imagine the classic gym boy, it's going to be someone that is doing high weights with low reps. And the idea of that power training is it's going to encourage the muscles to get bigger, but not necessarily to divide. Aha, but there is also a little sneaky way to build strength that doesn't actually involve changes to the muscle cells themselves, and that is via the neural system. So obviously, the nerves are everywhere in the body, they turn things on and off, and they also do this with the muscle. And the nerves attach to the muscle fibers, and they make a motor unit. With training, what happens is those motor units, they become better. The nerves will stretch out, and they're going to attach to more fibers, And they're also going to be more effective at turning on. They're going to be quicker. So it means that as you're trying to do something, more muscle fibers are going to turn on and faster, which will result in you seeming stronger. As well as that, there's going to be some coordination training by the brain. So if you're trying to do something that requires one muscle, such as the quads for a a knee extension, the nerves are going to be really good at making sure the hamstrings turned off, which is the opposite muscle, so that you can get the maximum power output from your quads. Now, I I looked and 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 I couldn't find a source, but I do remember hearing in uni and when I was working and getting some training elsewhere that the initial strength gains that you make in the first five or so weeks of a training program is the neural adaptation versus physical growth of the muscles. But I can't find a source to back this up, so if anyone else finds it, please let me know. But it's something to keep in mind that growth, physical growth of anything, it's not going to be an overnight thing. Whereas the neural changes, it's a very fast and adaptable system. So one would expect that the changes in strength that you initially experience are going to be from that nervous system kicking in and making your body a little quicker. And finally, just so I know I can say I've covered off a little bit of everything, there's the way a muscle works. So the contraction type. Usually what happens is a muscle contracts and it's going to change length. Now, if a muscle contracts and shortens at the same time, it is going to be a concentric contraction. So if I were to stand up from a chair, that is going to be a concentric contraction of my quads and of my glutes. They are shortening as I stand up. Now, if you were to lengthen a muscle whilst it's working, that's usually going to require a lot more control, which is the eccentric muscle contraction. So if I were to lower myself down into the chair, my quads and my glutes are under load, but they are lengthening. The final option is the nice halfway point. It's isometric and it's when there is load on the muscle, but no movement occurs. So that's going to be if I just hover over the chair. Why this is useful is when trying to think about how to load a muscle, what sort of load you want, depending on your goal. Now, obviously, we said that if there is a disconnect between capacity and load, that's when there's the likelihood for injury. The tricky point is then trying to build the capacity to load in a safe way that's not going to result in said injury. 
And the way to do this is called progressive overload training. And basically it's doing the thing until the thing gets easier, but there is a little bit of science and some, some factors to consider. We have intensity, volume, frequency, and tension. So if we were to say intensity of an exercise, it might be the weight, it might be the speed if you're running, or perhaps the incline if you're running or walking. Volume is obviously straightforward. That's going to be the number of reps you're doing or the amount of time you're doing it, again, if it's an aerobic-based exercise. Frequency would relate to the number of times per week you'd be doing it. Now, tension is more so related in resistance training, and it's doing an exercise slower. So doing slower reps because you're keeping the muscle under tension for a longer amount of time which is going to require a lot more effort by the neural system, effort by the muscle, and it's just another way of challenging the muscular system. To be sensible and to avoid injury, you're going to expect the progressive overload training to take time. You're going to need recovery time. And when you're wanting to change these factors to go towards your goals, you're only going to change one variable at a time. You're not going to add 20 kilos and do a bunch more reps, and do it three times a week all at once, because that is booming, which is only going to result in a bust of injury. Typically, what you're wanting to do is increase the volume. So say I'm, I don't know, squatting 50 kilos. I'm wanting to do more reps, you know, call it three of 10. And then once I'm at that point, I will bring my volume back down to say two of 10, two of six. And that's when I will be able to add more intensity. Now I'll go up to my 60 kilos or whatever, and then I will build the volume up before dropping it to do more intensity. And we rinse and repeat depending on what's happening there. The tempting thing, again, can be to change a lot of factors at once, but you do need to be careful because as you're getting towards greater levels of difficulty, higher weights, more intense, there's a greater chance of injury. So you do need to be careful with this. Considering that the earliest gains in your strength is usually the neural changes as opposed to physical muscle growth, just keep that in mind. You're just wanting to make sure that you're not going too hard out the gate because that is when people get injured. And as lovely as it is to have visitors come in and see you in the clinic, most people are usually a little bit unhappy to have to be there in the first place. I always like to try and put the knowledge into an example because I just think it makes a little more sense and you can see how it fits together. So I have a few case studies I'm going to go through. The first one would be a runner with tight calves and I did actually have this person coming. So a man comes in and he is complaining of tight calf during running and he's also a footy umpire on the weekends which involves a lot of sprinting and jogging. He feels this tightness more in the upper calf and it's constantly tight, and during the day he'll try and stretch it, which feels good, but it doesn't actually improve any of the tightness. Fitness-wise, he does a lot of aerobic training to keep his fitness for the running, but he doesn't have a lot of time to do the strength training. So, as we would know, when we think about what that tightness is coming from, it's clearly not from a loss of flexibility. It would be from tone, so our goal is to try and increase the strength for him. Given that he's got the high tone, it would suggest that the capacity of his calf doesn't allow him to fulfill the loads of the running in his games and for the training. Running is something that does need a lot of single leg calf strength and endurance. And because he's feeling that tightness in the upper region, we would suggest perhaps it is the gastrox or the gastrocnemius, 
which is the power muscle in the calf and has more of those type 2 fibers. Whereas if he had a lot more lower tightness, more towards the Achilles, we could sort of think it could be the soleus, which is the endurance muscle in the calf with more of those type 1 fibers. Obviously for him to work on that tightness, we did do some hands-on treatment, which would have been release and this guy loved dry needling. But we also needed to do the exercising. So for him, the main thing was just to stop stretching and focus on strength work. Now, because we felt the tightness was higher up in the muscle, we wanted to try and build that type 2 fibers. So we were getting him to do high weight and low reps. And we wanted to progress to doing single leg exercises because, again, that is specific to the task he's doing in running. Uh, Now, with running, obviously, there is a lot of pushing off through the calf, which is going to be a concentric contraction as well as being able to store tension in stretch. If you look at running mechanics, you get into a stretch, it stores in the Achilles, we spring off. It's great in kangaroos, not as good in humans, but we digress. So we do want a bit of concentric, anycentric. But for him, when you're building strength, you want to focus more on getting that concentric power up before you're then doing eccentric exercises to your very end range. So when people do a calf raise down off a step and get into that really nice stretch, We didn't want to do it for him first off. We just wanted to focus on the pure power. Now, this fellow needed significant reminders and encouragement as to why we were doing this. So, you know, to try and keep off the stretching and to do the exercises and to manage his tightness, given it was more tone as opposed to lack of flexibility. It was a lot of teaching to use the spiky ball for spot treatments instead of continual stretching. Over time, he did find a lot of improvements. It's one of those things that required continual effort during the season, and he did he did notice big improvement once he stuck with the plan. Now, the second case study is a conglomerate of many people I've seen. It is upper back stiffness in an office worker. So let's imagine a woman comes in, she works in an office, and she sits a lot of the time. She comes in complaining of mid and upper back stiffness by the end of the day, And generally speaking, she's not that active. She does get temporary relief from massage and back cracking, and she finds the effects of those last about a week before it slowly builds back. She gets a lot of tightness because she's sitting, there's a lot of prolonged positioning, and the muscles aren't getting a chance to move through their full range of motion. So our aim for her is to improve the mobility of her upper back so that when she does sit, it's more of a midpoint as to how much movement her muscles would have. If you're sitting in a midpoint as opposed to sitting bolt upright when you're quite stiff, it puts a lot less stress on the muscles. We also wanted to do a lot of mobility work through her chest because, as you can imagine, when someone sits and their shoulders round in, the chest gets tight, which does make it even harder to stretch back and sit in that nice open position. As we imagine, there's also some need for strength training through the upper back. As I mentioned, Postural muscles tend to be a lot of type 1 fibers, so we do need to do endurance-based exercises for those postural muscles, which is going to be low weights but high reps or isometrics, just so we can really make sure those muscles are turning on. As well as that, we do want to add a little bit of the concentric type 2 power muscles and get the targeting towards them, just so we have a bit of a backup from the postural muscles as well. For someone who's in an office situation, it's always worth talking about ergonomics and making sure the desk setup is appropriate, which is going to reduce unnecessary strain. We always would advise to take a break 
during the day to stretch and move and make sure that there is maintaining that exercise program given that the load of sitting is consistent and you need to do it every single day so it would stand to reason that exercise program is also going to need to be an ongoing suggestion. Come in for a treatment as required. We're wanting that to be the icing on top and making sure that the, the meat and veg of the benefit is coming from exercise. As a side note, these exercises don't need to take a long time. When I was having my stiff back pain from working in the clinic all day, I had a five minute routine that I could do just to help manage any stiffness and pain if it arose. Yes, in an ideal world, we'd all do 150 minutes of aerobic exercise, two days a week of resistance training and two or three days of mobility training. But it's not always possible, feasible or easy to fit into our modern lifestyles. And I understand that. All I would say is that you should consider if you're needing to come in every week, twice a week to see your physio for pain, five minutes a day of exercise, it is something that might be worth trying to adjust and fit in. Specifically, if you have the sort of pain that can be managed nice and easily with exercise. So let's pull it all together and let's review just in little dot points. Number one, a mixture of different types of exercises is good for general good health. Muscular injury management typically is going to require more effort in terms of strength and mobility as compared to aerobic training. The goal of doing strength work for dealing with tightness it's to increase the capacity of your muscle to better handle the load. Increasing capacity should be done in a staggered way to avoid sudden overload, which is going to result in injury. For those who don't have any muscular injuries or other underlying health conditions, you can probably get started in the gym doing these things without a lot of input from personal trainers or health professionals. But if you've got a history of injury or if you do have health concerns that do impact your life on a regular basis, obviously we're wanting you to get checked out either by your doctor, physiotherapist, even a personal trainer, exercise physiologist, you know, the laundry list. Pick someone that you trust, you know, and have a chat with them before you get started with a new program. Now, that is exercise. I'm sure we'll come back to it at some point. But let's think into the future. So for next time, the first in what will probably be many discussions on pain science. Now, we did the briefest of introductions to pain science in episode one. So next time, we're going to do a little more of a deep dive and get a really solid introductory understanding on pain science. She's pretty science heavy. When I did it at uni, it was very hard for my brain after being out in the field and coming back and suddenly doing a lot of really nitty gritty science but I'll be breaking it down into little nuggets of knowledge. So until then, and next time I will see you. Have a good day. Bye.